Is Drop Zone better than Defender? It's 1200XL, Episode 10. Hi, everybody. Welcome to 1200XL. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about Drop Zone. Now, before we get into Drop Zone, I think we should talk about the game that most uh, that that gave it its most inspiration, and that game is, of course, Defender. Mm. Um, Aaron, do you remember? Do you have any memories of playing Defender as a youth in the arcades? They're brief memories, boat. I walked up to <laughs> Defender. I surveyed the four hundred button control panel. I, I shakingly slipped it a quarter. I still looked at the control panel. I exploded three times. And then I walked away to go play something else because that game was hard. Too many, yeah. it, too much going on. I never liked Arcade Defender. It's one of the few arcade games that was done better everywhere else, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's the fact that they didn't go with a four-way joystick, the fact that you have a stick that goes up and down, which is weird. I can't think of any other games except for maybe the Tapper on Tapper <laughs> that, that just goes up and down. Uh, and then having the forward and reverse buttons, you, it, it's a hard game to wrap your mind around. You know, I got a chance to play Defender uh, over at our local barcade when we went over there uh, a couple weeks back. And uh, it was just as uh, infuriating as I remember. So I'm glad that the uh, the, the home ports uh, kind of, uh, they, they cheesed it a little bit and, and made it a little bit easier for us. Uh, the first game I ever remember seeing in my life was the 2600 box of Defender. Uh, do you remember the box art for that game, Aaron? I, I will say, I, I remember the game, but not the box art. Yeah, so that what you see, and I, I've got it right over here, I'm, I'm looking at it. You see it's like a cityscape, and then you see like a an alien ship approaching, and then there's this woman, and it looks like she's starting to be beamed up or something. It's very evocative. Is she turning her head like always... this? Because yeah, now I do, yeah. it's coming to me. Yes, I remember it. That, that was the very first video game I ever saw in my life. I was about five years old and i went over to my neighbor's house and her parents had a 2600 so you know those, those uh, we've talked this before those old atari uh, cartridge boxes the old box art was outstanding mm-hmm. you know yeah. they really uh, they 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 gave your imagination something to uh stick in place of actual graphics whenever the game was playing you know and i love right. that you know getting back to defender uh, for a moment you're talking about the up and down uh joystick on it all the buttons uh, you know, I will say, uh, Defender was made by Williams, uh, and mm-hmm. Williams was famous for their arcade and pinball divisions. They were very innovative. And I always thought it was funny that the same outfit that made uh, a game like Joust, where you had literally a left and right and a button, would also make Defender. And I always assumed that they, maybe they were trying to save money for all the buttons they put on Defender when they made Joust. They just put one thing on there. <laughs> but what a company. And one thing... Defender had was awesome visuals and great sound. All Defender or all Williams games were blessed with outstanding sound. There was no yeah. duds in the bunch. And a lot of those sounds came back and forth from their pinball machines too. So you'll often be playing a game of pinball and hear video game sounds and that's because the same folks were responsible for the same sound. Always kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Defender is the inspiration, but Drop Zone is today's game. Let's talk a little bit about Drop Zone. So Drop Zone uh, was developed by an outfit called Arena Graphics. Uh, Arena Graphics was really just Archer McLean. That was his his company. 
uh, Arch McLean, a pseudo legend in the uh, definite legend. legend in the computing in the computing world. Uh, less so of a legend in the console world, although he did make an appearance. Uh, world Karate Championship was his. Jimmy White's Snooker. Jimmy White's Cue Ball. A whole legion of Jimmy White inspired um, pool type games. Uh, and so, uh, and of course, Drop Zone and uh, the SNES version of Drop Zone, which was called what, Aaron? Super Drop Zone. Aptly named. Yeah. Aptly named. Uh, Drop Zone was originally published by U.S. Gold. Uh, sort of an infamous publisher uh, of, of uh, you know, some great releases and some not so great releases. I know I always think about U.S. Gold Presents and the infamous uh, Amiga port of OutRun. So yeah. they did some some great stuff and they did some some crap. So uh, this game was released in 1984, uh, which is pretty much, you know, the... The, the final, one of the, the last big years of the Atari 8-bit computer really uh, ruling the roost. This is, you know, just a year or two previous to the launch of the ST. Of course, the 8-bits continued to exist for many years afterwards, but this was really the last big year where 8-bit computers were really at the top of the heap. And this was really the last big year that Atari was spending lots of cash on things like APX and, and really doing a lot for, you know, pushing their uh, their 8-bit computers um so this is sort of a fitting swan song to the the whole 8-bit line because it is such a great game uh this was released on a bunch of different platforms so the original drop zone was released on of course the atari 8-bit line the c64 line uh, uh game boy got a version i haven't played the game boy version game gear the game boy color and the nes so it got a pretty wide release uh, on uh, on a bunch of different you know contemporary systems at the time. So, what is Drop Zone here? And I thought I would read to you from the the manual just to oh set the stage because you know every home computer game has got to have a ridiculous backstory, and this game is no different. Get ready. All right, I'm ready. It's the year. It's the year 2085. Only a handful of people have survived the robot wars that rocked the solar system. <laughs> In a final desperate bid for survival, a tachyon-propelled star cruiser has been developed on Earth to transport survivors to a new star system. But the cruiser relies on rare Ionian crystals for its power, crystals which are only abundant on Jupiter's second moon, Io. It is your mission to escort the men and their precious crystals safely from the surface of Io to the drop zone where the landing pad is located. Zaggy, you fired up, man. Listen, anything's got tachyons in it, and so st- that sounds like a script for next generation, right there. I think we've got yeah, that. <laughs> so, Drop Zone. What is this game? So, Drop Zone is it's basically Defender, except you're the dude from Jetpack. Yeah. You're, you're, you're well, you're rolling. Show's over. You're rolling around town. <laughs> you're you're blowing up aliens, defender style, with your jetpack. You're, either these aliens are super tiny, or you're the world's largest man. Yeah. Because you are you are three times the size of these alien crafts. Okay. <laughs> so what you do is you fly across a a multi-screen landscape, just like Defender. You've got the radar below you, and you are trying to save you the scientists that are on the planet. Okay, for some reason the scientists have scattered themselves all across the surface of this planet, and what you have to do is you, you have to pick them up one at a time and drop them off at the you guessed it the drop zone. Mm. Uh, the drop zone is like a little uh, trap door <laughs> that uh, that it's got a, a section that once you drop a guy off, it sort of lowers down and the guy goes into the the pod where he's safe. 
So your job is to collect all of the guys and destroy all the enemies. And when you've done that, you've completed each wave. So um, now, Aaron, what were your thoughts uh, when you when you fired this thing up for the first time? Well, you know, you know, I, I consider myself, uh, I don't know, fairly well versed in the uh, 8-bit, the Atari 8-bit scene back in the day. This is one I didn't remember playing on the Atari, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I played this a few months ago. It's been a, six months ago. We did Super Drop Zone on ARG Presents, so I was I had a, a, an idea what it was like. Uh, but this game uh, is very impressive looking uh, on the 8-bit. In fact, this is mm-hmm. one of the best-looking and sounding games I, that I recall seeing. I mean, it's very... The, and the sense of speed, the radar, I mean, it's outstanding. It really is, the, in terms of the look of it. Um, the whole thing with the scientists is... is the As I recall from the backstory, the scientists were sprawled with the planet because they were doing experiments when the aliens came, and they're in their emergency pods. That's why they don't look like scientists. They look like little atoms or something. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to rescue them. So I guess they they filled all that backstory in. Uh, but just my my initial impressions of, were high. And also I should mention that when this game comes out, like when it comes on, it's got uh, arcade level graphical uh, uh, representation of the name of the game. There's some demo scenes, extravaganzas going on. The the, the drop zone logos going up and down, and crazy stuffs yeah. going on with the. Scores. And you also get you get a list of all the characters in the yeah. game. I mean, it's just like an arcade. Yeah, it's clear. You know, I I, I found an interview uh, with Archer McLean, and he said that he created this game because he just wanted to uh, he wanted to make a game that was just as good as an arcade game. So he took. He says he took inspiration from Scramble, Defender, Scargate, Galaxian, and many others. You know, just basically all the big machines that were out at the time. And he said it took him six months to come up with something looking so good that it could be an arcade cabinet. And I mean, it really does. Now, yes. does the game once you start playing the game, does it have as many colors as as an arcade machine in 1984? No, but. This thing could roll with anything in the 1981-82 time period for sure. You could have released this in 83, I think, and you could have gotten away with it. No, well, some yeah. people would have been like this. Listen, he may have said he took inspiration from Galax and his Super Cobra. All these things, but having played those, this has none of the stuff that's in those in it. This it's, is, it, I think he he really wanted to say I stole everything from Defender, but he couldn't say that. Right. So he right. he got a bunch of other games but, I mean, in there too. I, listen, he, the enemies are dip, way different than Defender. I'll give him that, uh, and. These, this, the the uh, in, in a lot of ways it's it's more graphically impressive than Defender ever was, uh, with the way the earth the, you know, the land looks the way the, I, like I said it's a good looking game. Arch just got yeah, nothing. and and there's a there's a wide variety of of enemies in this game. There are there are these things called planters, and and they drop androids, and so uh, that when you hear that whistle, because you'll be playing yeah. and you'll hear a whistle, that's your that's your signal. That there's a, one of the scientists is in danger, yeah. and that's when you you gotta start head for it. So that's a that's a cool little thing. It's a, you've got the visual radar, but you also have the auditory radar, which is really cool too. Yeah, um, it works so well. So once the android machine lands, it becomes this thing called a nemocyte, uh, which uh, and it, it it turns basically into a homing missile. 
You've also got antimatter uh, nodules that if if you if all of your men are destroyed and you're just hanging out, this is sort of like the in Defender when it's when it's pure death mode and you you've got all of these things that are heading towards you. Uh, there are trailers, blunder storms. The they are kind of like a, you know cosmic storms, storm clouds and things. There's a wide variety of enemies in this game. It's 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 impressive. He was able to get so many different enemy types that all act differently. It's not just like the same enemy action that's pasted onto a different sprite. They all have kind of uh, personalities of their own. Yeah, and there, and also one. I will say there's a few things that set it apart from Defender. The, there's that cloaking gimmick that you've got right. that sets it apart. Uh, and the enemies. Now, I will say this, uh, Boat, and I wanted to, and you may have a different opinion because I don't know if you grew up playing this or not. But this game, I could get past the first couple levels, you know, with some. I mean, fairly usually. And then this game just goes into goodbye mode, where yeah. I just get slaughtered. The enemies now, that start coming out are brutal. I'll tell you the re what what I believe the reason for this is. All right. Okay. This game, I believe, was designed to play with a joystick like the old Wicco Command Control, where you've got a stick and you've got the button on top. Because you have, after the first, or I know, not after the first, the first level is pretty simple, but after the second or third level, you have to use smart bombs. You have to use that cloaking device to get through. Yeah. I mean, it's just too hard not to. And if you're using a stick that requires you to have both hands on the stick, then it's just very, very awkward to to activate your cloaking device to what activate are, those smart bombs as soon as you need. Why don't you to. explain the sm the smart bombs and the cloaking? Well, the smart bomb is a smart right. bomb. It doesn't there there's there's nothing there's nothing earth shattering there. It works just like the smart bomb in Defender. The cloaking device runs on a meter, so you've got a limited amount of cloaking power. Uh, and when you cloak, you essentially you become invisible. But you well, actually, what what he's done is he's turned your sprite black. So you can still see the outlines of it as you run along the surface of the planet. It's kind of a neat effect. Um, but anyway, you use that as kind of a, a way for you to shield yourself from oncoming attacks. The, the enemies can't track you, you know, if they're homing devices. And, and, of course, you'll just run through everything. So it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty neat effect. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, that's, that's a definitely a departure from, uh, the, from Defender. The... Uh... I think that what sets this game apart, aside from that, there are the different types of aliens you get. You name some of them, but to just describe them, there's this thing that looks like it's dropping a rain cloud on you. That that mm -hmm. that, and you've got this thing that shoots these missiles, and these missiles are impossible to dodge. They yeah. they go. I mean, what is that? They go. They go in like they have blinds that come. Out. It's like a Tron light cycles coming at you, and there's mm -hmm. no, you can't get away from these things unless you shoot them. Those things suck. I hate those. If they if they get your scientists up in the air, they they can turn those guys. It's there's a lot of stuff in this to tangle with, and since the stuff is so small, it's real real easy just to run into it. And oh by the way, they shoot, and their bullets are double small, so they're yeah, real yeah. tough. And and now it's a now pain. I'll tell you this I'll tell you this this is one of these games, and this is the first this is a first I believe for this particular uh, this particular podcast that we've done. Um, if you had a lot of trouble with this game. Uh, it might have been because you were playing on an NTSC machine rather than a PAL machine because this never got an official North American release. Oh, uh, you it, might it, be right. Uh, this was a, this was a British developed game for British Atari computers. The uh, U.S. Gold license was only for the U.K. and Europe. And it's actually funny. Uh, it was part of the interview that I found. Um, 
so uh, U.S. Gold apparently uh, told him that it was no, the game had left production after 18 months. They said, this thing isn't selling. We took it off the shelves. You're not getting any royalties. But what Archer did was he traveled a lot. He saw it for sale all over Europe. He saw it for sale in Australia. <laughs> he saw somebody that I guess they had, they'd done a U.S., uh, they, they'd done a version for the U.S. market, but it looked real bad. <laughs> It was uh, because, you know, the, the, the NTSC versus PAL thing. Um, and so um, and his contract with them, of course, prevented him from seeking out another publisher. So he actually took these guys to court and, uh, and said, listen, this game is selling. It's on store shelves. I've seen it. Here are the pictures. Uh, these guys are not paying me royalties. And uh, he won the court case. Uh, he used the money, Aaron, to buy a Ferrari, a 288 GTO. Why does that not surprise me? Given Well, good for him. Yeah. I, I wonder how many people that the U.S. gold hose like that. That probably happened a lot yeah. back in the day. This is a story we hear a lot, you know, uh, coders getting hosed by the old public. You know, so. getting back to what you said about the, I, I'd been, I put this on my actual, uh, uh, you know, my actual XEGS over here. Mm-hmm. And it was fast, and I, I think I'm thinking maybe you're right. Maybe it was a pal thing. I want to load this up on the Mister sometime. Well, that's what I did. I loaded it up on the Mister, and it is easier to play when you run it, it in is, It is super duper speedy. You know, there's a couple things we would be remiss without mentioning, uh, boat. And I don't think we talked about it. One is, and this is a good and a bad thing. Every time, uh, every time the drop zone man dies, he he blows up in a spectacular fireworks display. Uh, which is awesome to look at the first dozen or so times, but every it takes so long for the right. to start that eventually you are tired of the fireworks display. You will go home, and, and also uh, in the true in the true battle zone tradition, you've got uh, little spewing volcanoes all over the uh, landscape as well that you'll go through, uh, which is which is neat. The effects in this are real tight. Uh, it does have uh, I wouldn't say they have Williams sound effects, but I mean we both know that the Atari can put out some decent sounds. Uh, I'd say this is at the top of the spectrum of good sounds. You mentioned the yeah. whistle, but just the just the shooting. There's a lot of there's a kind of a bassy shot in this. I like the sound effects. In fact, I liked pretty much everything about this except for the difficulty. I I, I kind of wish boat. I was going to get your thoughts on this. I kind of wish that the jump man in this had actually had shields. That you could, mm-hmm. I mean, it would make this well, a lot that, less. That's, def- what the, that's what the cloak well, is. Well, I know, but I would rather not have to worry about the cloak and just have hit points, basically. Oh, okay. I think that okay. would have differentiated this from Defender, just like cloaking did, without me having to pay attention because there's too mm-hmm. much else well, going yeah, on. It, it, when you're when you're dealing with the majority of sticks being two-handed sticks, right. it's, it definitely makes more sense. Now, um, you know, as part of this interview, he was asked, uh, what was your favorite part of Drop Zone, asking Archer? He says, squeezing the hardware in the Atari 800 to its limits and making it better than anything else available. And then he goes on to say, what was more amazing to me was the challenge of making it work on the less capable Commodore 64. Yes, I knew this was coming. I guess we should go over yeah. to comparison, shouldn't we, Bode? <laughs> so the, the C64 is actually where I played this for the first time. Uh, and I was I was surprised that there was an Atari 8-bit version. And the Atari 8-bit version was the the original version. This is the C64 version, so it looks it looks not as good. It looks not as good. I can tell you that the the C64 color palette 
is uh, on on full display. Take your piece of uh, gray and purple slime and stretch it over the screen, and that's what it looks like. Burial. Uh, you you want to play the Atari version of this game, not the C64 version. Now, just... uh, now, I do encourage everybody, though, to check out the NES version, because the NES version uh, solves a lot of the problems of the original version of the game. Uh, it adds, of course, an extra button, which allows you to cloak. And, well, it's got the start and select button, so basically you can use, I think the select button is the smart bomb, and the B button is the cloak. So you can use all the things. Of course, there's no keyboard on the NES. The graphics have been upgraded quite a bit. Uh, they still keep the original, uh, you know, your guys still the same size and everything, but your guys a little bit more detailed. The animation's a little bit better. So I was real surprised. The NES version, a European-only release. So um, make sure you check that out because that's a real, that's a comparison that's really, really cool to see. I've played, I've played the uh, C64 version, so I think it's okay. I think you're oh, it's I, think, okay. I think it's a I burial mean, it's... from you. Uh, because the C64 doesn't have the palette you like, but I think it does a decent job. The Atari version is better. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. in my opinion, but I, I think the C64 version is okay. I've not played the NES version, but I did have a chance to play that uh, Super and uh, Super Nintendo Super Drop Zone, which basically is pretty much almost exactly the same game with some real crappy in-boss stuff like attached to it. And and, I, and by the way, another European exclusive. So apparently, they just decided that no one in the states would like this game for some reason. Yeah, or maybe the yeah. lawsuit. It's a weird involved. thing because this was. I mean, obviously, maybe for the Super Nintendo. I mean, the Super Drop Zone is a pretty date. I mean, e even at the time, it was a dated concept for anybody. But I think Archer McLean's name carried a lot more jack, and they put Archer McLean's name on the box. So I can see why that was a European release, but. Drop Zone for the NES. I mean that that would have sold real well, I think, and it it, it doesn't it, it doesn't look out of place on the system at all. I don't see why this shouldn't have been released in the U.S. for every system. It, it, particularly if I'm if I've got an Atari computer in '83, this should be here. There's right. no reason. The only thing it's I not can like think there's of so many is, other games that are crushing it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right, and it's right. a native the only thing game. I can think of is that there was just something weird with, you know, of course, this was 84, so it was right at the end of when, you know, people were really spending tons of... But again, maybe U.S. Gold just, they saw the writing on the wall, and they saw what was going on. People were starting to shift away from the 8-bits, because e even in 84, 84 was like p stuff fell off a cliff. That was what we heard when we talked to the guy that did Getaway. Yeah. He said after 84, just nobody was interested in 8-bit stuff anymore in the States versus in, in Europe and in the UK, there was still another, you know, six or seven years of people being all in on the 8-bit system. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, But I think this is, uh, I'll definitely, I will reevaluate after I play this on a PAL machine. But, uh, I mean, I like it, but too fast. And the explosions may take too long in between men. Those are my two biggest complaints. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of 1200XL. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you're welcome to uh, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash 1200XL. Uh, and uh, next month, Aaron will be back with another episode. Anyway, we appreciate you listening. And uh, if you want to watch us live, twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. We always tape live. You can join the fine folks in the chat that have watched us. We'll see you guys next month for another edition of 1200XL. Until then, make sure you play your Atari today.